You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast, and I have Bastian Silvaris, the head of research at the Open Humans Foundation, openhumansfoundation.org. So, uh, Bastian, thanks for coming. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for inviting yeah. me. So tell me about uh, the, the Open Humans Foundation. What's the premise of the uh, organization? Sure. So what we are doing with Open Humans is we are trying to empower people to make the most out of their own personal data. I mean, we are living in an age where we collect so much data about ourselves. Like people now get their genomes analyzed through direct-to-consumer genetic testing companies. People are wearing wearable devices to get like their activity tracked 24/7. Basically, we like leak our digital trails all around the internet and like. Like all of this data is stored somewhere, but often we don't really get like to use our own data. And Open Humans tries to like empower people to like get a copy of all of their data and like either use it on, like for their own goals or also like to share it with others to like empower new kinds of research. So, what kind of um, data is out there that people may not even be aware of, and where is it right now? Why is it so hard to get? Oh, I mean, like, one kind of data, which, like, many people are surprised is that, like, their phones, if you have, like, an iPhone, like, it tracks, like, uh, how many steps you take per day, and it has, like, all of this, like, data that's going into Apple Health Kit. And if you use the health app on your phone, you see that even if you never, like, signed up for it, like, your phone has already done all the work for you. Like, you have, like, a like historic backlog of, like, your physical activity ever since you started using iPhones or whenever Apple introduced uh, the tool, which is really cool. And this data is stored in your phone. But yeah, it's stored in your phone, but most people can't easily access it and like reuse it for like making their own data visualizations or giving it away to researchers who want to maybe like do some studies on tracking physical activity and how people interact and things like this. So that's one thing that I think many people find very surprising when they find out like, oh, wait, I already yeah. have activity tracking data about myself and I've like already like days, months, and maybe even years worth of data that I never looked at before. That's like a pleasant surprise for many people. Interesting. What about, um, you know, like in the U.S., you have uh, electronic health records, and they're really a, a pain in the ass to get, and they're locked away in different silos. I mean, with the Open Human Foundation, um, are you helping people to get access to all their the medical records and at least put them in one place so they can see them? 
Yeah, so we have not integrated any electronic health records to date, and largely because it's like the pain you just described. There are like so many different ways of like where's the data stored and like who's even the right person to contact and ask for this data. So we have more like a direct to consumer like data types that people like collect out of their own will, like in outside the traditional healthcare system. Okay, so what, but, what kind of I data mean, do you help people uh, collect then? Oh, so yeah, we have like uh, traditionally we have like a lot of genetic data because uh, the Open Humans Foundation basically grew out of like the personal genome project, which was run at Harvard Medical School. And like because of this tradition, traditional background, basically it's like a lot about genetic data. It started out like genetic data like collected in the personal genome projects, but it's also the whole direct consumer genetic data. So there's like 23andMe, Ancestry, Family Tree DNA, things like that that people like put into their Open Humans account to reuse the data. And then we also, of course, have like a lot of the wearable devices. So it's like Fitbit, Wising, slash Nokia Health. Um, if people are using RunKeeper, they get like can get a copy of like all their runs they've done, and all the GPS tracks even of like where they've doing, been doing their runs. And yeah, we like have like a lot of different data. So one like more medically relevant would be like data from continuous glucose monitors, for example. So the type one diabetes community is very mm-hmm. active in collecting their data because they really want and need to have like real time access to their own glucose monitoring data. To make informed decisions about how to manage their like health condition basically and yeah we help people to like export all the data that's otherwise just like stored in like the device itself and like maybe on the service of the company that's providing the continuous glucose monitor and we help people to like get access to this data so they can build something new out of the data and improve their own health management yeah that's what i mean so it's, it's not just electronic health records but all data is siloed away you know, and Fitbit right. and CGMs and, you know. So it seems like it's very important to build a way for people to easily get all that data aggregated into one place. You know, yes, they still have to go through the, the pain of doing it the first time, but once they have it, they'll have a lot of information in one spot. Yeah, and I think, like, the really interesting part is where you can then can actually start to correlate, like, data between these different data sources. For example, if you have, like, access to your own, like, CGM data, and you also get like data from your Fitbit maybe even. And then now you can see like how your glucose levels like correlate with your physical activity, how your heart rate is involved, things like this. And it allows people to like merge these data streams from different data silos and reuse this data and like learn more about themselves thanks to this. So what kind of data have you seen is uh, useful to collect? Or, you know, are you one of those like data nerds that collects everything? Like who, who do you know that really collects a lot and what kind of insights have they gotten from it? What have they collected? Oh, yeah, I'm certainly one of these data nerds. I collect everything. So I have, like, my genome, of course. I have, like, the Fitbit I wear 24-7 to get, like, like second-by-second heart rate data and, like, the activity data. I use, like, an app on my phone, which is also part of, like, the Open Humans ecosystem, which, like, tracks my GPS location and, like, deposits, like, every few minutes, like, my current location there so that I even know where I've been. I do collect uh, my productivity data, so I'm using rescue time on my computer to just track like when I'm using my computer and which apps I'm using and like which website I'm using at a given moment in time and can do correlations then with this. And that would be like one fun example. I mean, it's like uh, like I looked into it when I was like finishing up my PhD, and like I think for two or three months I was just like basically living in front of my computer writing my thesis. And I had like all of my like movement data. I had like the physical activity data I had from like a digital scale that's like on the cloud, my weight data, 
and I had other data of like how many hours a day I worked, and there was like this really strong correlation, like where you you plot it over time, you can see, okay, I'm just like getting lazy in terms of physical activity because all I do is just like get up in the morning, start writing my thesis, and like in the evening just fall dead into bed basically, and no physical activity in between. But then, of course, at the same time, you see the productivity like spiking at like 12, 14 hours a day. I sit in front of my computer just like trying to write my PhD thesis. And of course, unfortunately, if you just like keep doing this for a couple of months, you see how my weight increased like while finishing my PhD. So I have like some interesting data that basically tells you doing a PhD can be like a health risk. Oh, okay. How much did you like? I don't know if you could say like how much weight did you gain and, and what happened to you? Oh, I just like, it was like a couple of pounds, but like in a rather short amount of time, it was like two, three months and like, like it was a very quick, like increase in weight and like nothing that couldn't be managed afterwards, but it's like, okay, I'm really happy. I don't have to like do this like kind of lifestyle for a long period of time. And it's just the, the crunch time of writing up. Well, yeah, you noticed that uh, your, your heart rate variability changed or any other metrics that were interesting besides just weight gain? Yeah. So I saw that like uh, my resting heart rate at least that's where i looked and like increased as well because basically it was just out of shape very quickly if you go from like actually being a physically active person to becoming like this uh sitting in front of the desk all day and not doing anything else person like it changes pretty quickly like even if it's just like a like a break of like two three months like it changes like your like physical fitness quite a bit well how much did yours change how much did it go up oh it's was going from i think like somewhere like like 60 beats per minute up to nearly 70 i think so for the resting oh. heart rate it's i found like quite a, a drastic increase oh wow do you do you tend to do like experiments on yourself where you try different protocols exercise eating etc and see how all your markers change and maybe your blood markers your other uh your heart rate your blood pressure etc yeah i certainly like keep the track of it i think it's like like not like a very like thoroughly planned experiment, but if I like start changing like do changes in my lifestyle, basically I will like like after doing it for a while, I will look into the data and see whether I can see that there's some change in like some of the metrics I do collect to see whether like my heart rate uh, baseline changes, whether like my weight changes in one direction or the other, like maybe even like how it like influences my productivity to see maybe I'm now more focused or less focused. So yeah, that's definitely of interest to me. So again, what what have you seen that uh, people collect that's useful or unusual, and you know what kind of insights have you uh, observed that you weren't aware of before? I think for me personally, I think it's really just like this uh, retroactive, like seeing and like better getting a better understanding of like how I can like have like a healthier, happier life through the data I collect. But I see that like a lot of people use open humans for like very specific purposes as well. So one study that's starting very soon is uh, using the Ura ring, the wearable devices, mm. which collects in addition to like your heart rate and your like through the gyroscope, your physical activity. It also has like the body temperature it collects over the day. And uh, we have like the quantified self community is like running an experiment through open humans right now where like I think they have around 20 women who participate wearing like one of these rings to see how they are like basal body temperatures changing through the ovulatory cycle to see whether these wearable devices could actually also be useful, for example, for fertility tracking. That's like something really interesting, which I think the device manufacturers never thought about really. For them, it was like, we want to predict better, like the different sleep phases and like your sleep quality by getting your body temperature in addition to all the other metrics. And then the right. end users basically came in and was like, oh, there's like a sensor we actually find super interesting. And maybe we can reuse this data for like a very different purpose than just like getting better sleep quality, so sleep quality metrics than 
what the device manufacturers themselves uh, envisioned initially. And like the device manufacturers were like, oh, it's like a great idea. And it's like, we never thought about it really so much in the first place, but let's give it a try and see what happens. And I'm really curious to see what comes out of it because maybe like it shows that actually these uh, wearable devices can be used for so many different things that we haven't envisioned so far. Okay, interesting. Um, what what goes on in Open Humans Foundation? I mean, what you know, what's the daily activities? What are the members doing? You know, what are I mean, what's happening within the company? So I mean, we have like a, like a growing community of members who are like importing their data and using it, and like the like the ovulatory cycle study that's running now is like one example, which basically came out of the community itself, and like the members were, oh, we are curious about this. Let's see what happens. And we also have like other people like doing very similar things. I mean, like the the type one diabetes community, for example, they are now building their own research studies. So we have, I think, a couple of hundred people who collect their CGM data around the day and put it into Open Humans. And now the the community of patients themselves is actually using the data for doing research and see how different diets influence like their glucose levels and which diets work best for them. And I mean, the most exciting part for me is that they even built like on top of this, like this whole open artificial pancreas, which you might have heard of, where they just like used to continuous glucose monitor data. They have like reverse engineered and collected in real time and have like an algorithm make real time decisions about whether they should pump more insulin or not, which basically means they don't have to worry about like keep track of their glucose levels themselves all day long. But they can have like their own little hardware to just decide like to automatically pump more insulin if needed, which is super exciting. Okay. How is Open Humans uh, involved in that? It's just the members supplying their data, or did it go beyond that? Yeah. So the members are uh, putting their data into Open Humans, and as I said, it's a couple of hundred people, and now they have like collected all of this data, and they are now starting to analyze like the aggregated data because now it's not only that you as an individual have like your own personal data, but like the patient community has like data from like a couple of hundred people and they are now do, starting to do their own research projects on this like for example to see which different diets have which kind of effects on like how to manage their disease so it's really enabling people to do their own research not only by themselves which is like the typical quantified self approach that you like do an experiment with the n of one which is you but rather finding different people who are interested in the same things then you come together and start doing projects research projects okay interesting so uh, do you have a lot of people that collect ancestry or their genomic data? I mean, what other, you know, what tends to be the most heavily collected data and what, what data do people wish for that maybe they're not collecting? Yeah, so I think like the genetic data is like the most widely imported data largely because that's like a data set that's uh, somehow easy for people to like get access to in a way because it's like you, like you test one time, you just spit in a tube, you get your data back at the end and you can then decide to put it into open humans while it's, I guess, people are like, it's like a higher barrier if you have to wear a device every day, like a Fitbit and like collect the data and make sure that it's still charged and everything. It's like a more involved process, interestingly, than just like spitting in a tube once. And we see people are interested in the genetic data also a lot. I mean, we do have people who are doing it for ancestry reasons and just like one community member has built some data analysis tools around genetic data and ancestry to find which bits of DNA do you share with other members and maybe to see which parts of your DNA were inherited from, like, uh, which part of your family. There are things like this going on as well as people build, like, their own data visualizations to see where in, like, a graph of, like, different populations around the globe, like, where in this graph does your own genome fall? 
to which populations are irritated. So that's like getting a lot of traction, I think, largely because there's like this very active community of uh, genetic genealogists and people who are really interested in like doing genetic data analyses. That's one thing that's growing quite a bit, I think. One thing we see that's, as I said earlier, it's not really supported a lot so far is the whole like electronic health records, just because it's so much of an issue to like get access to it. And we had planned initially at some point to like tie into the Microsoft Health Vault health record system. But just a few weeks ago, they announced that even Microsoft will like shut down their whole system, I think. So it's really hard to really? like so many different companies around for electronic health records. Why, would, why is Microsoft uh, going to be shutting down uh, their efforts? So I'm not exactly sure why they're, like, uh, shutting it down. But I think they announced that they will shut it down, like, later this year. So I think, like, in November or so. And I'm not sure whether they gave any concrete reason why they did. So they just, like, informed their users, telling them, basically, that they will shut down end of this year. Hmm. Okay. I guess we, there's no point in speculating. Interesting. Yeah, Are there any new kinds of data that uh, you think would be helpful for people to collect, but they're just not doing it yet? Or is it just collecting more sources of it and integrating it all? Where's the future of this going? Yeah, so I think the future will definitely be like collecting more data from different sources. And I think what uh, will be very interesting, at least to me personally, is like the whole like social media data, because we are leaving huge data trails on like Facebook, Twitter, and like wherever else we are using social media. And I think in many cases, this data is not only of interest to like the companies, but also to the people themselves, because I think what you post on Facebook or on Twitter, like actually can be use useful for you as well to just like see how like your own behavior, like not only on this platform changes over time, but also it gives you an idea of like your mental state when you are posting. So if you can do some like automated text processing and like do some sentiment analysis. So this might be really interesting for people as well, because it's, uh, I think like getting like a, a conclusive record about your state of mind at times is really hard. And there are people doing like these diaries and like having different mood tracking apps and so on. But it's always like a lot of work of doing it. But if you could actually see that maybe your usage of social media can like be a proxy for like your mental state at a time, that might be really interesting. It might be useful for like even health related applications as well. And we are going in this direction a bit right now where we allow people to import like their full Twitter archives, for example. And if people have been mm -hmm. using Twitter for over 10 years, then you have like thousands of tweets that people have posted over this time. And you can see how like maybe like a person evolves like in their like own behavior over time over these 10 years, which might be really interesting as well. Hmm. Have you noticed anything by integrating those or it hasn't really happened yet? Yeah, I mean, integrated, and we see that individual people certainly like show like this huge evolution where people might like start out like being on Twitter just like a tiny bit and not interact much and then they at some point like either see the value and they really pick it up or people like stop using social media a lot. And you can also see that like the the posting frequency when it like evolves like this, there might be correlations to like other things. Like for example, people who like spend a lot of time doing sports, being outdoors, doing whatever, will have less time to spend like posting on Facebook or Twitter. The same is true if like you are super busy at work and you are like having highly productive uh, periods, then you might also be using it less. And like all of these, I think, will be really interesting to explore in the future. And we've just started doing it. And I think like, uh, especially social scientists, I think are very keen on getting access to like this very longitudinal data of like people, which would be really cool to see them use it. Hmm. Interesting. 
So do you, uh, do you have meetings in the foundation or, you know, when you're a member of it or you're part of it, what will you experience? So, I mean, how much people are involved really depends on the individual member. We have many members who just like come in, like connect their different data sources, import the data, and then maybe decide to share data with individual research studies. And that's all they do. We have more active members who are then joining the chat rooms and the forums and discuss with other members and maybe even start doing their own projects or their own data connections. So earlier I was describing how you can get like your whole like physical activity tracking data from the sensors in your iPhone and stored in your iPhone. One of the members was like, oh, I noticed there's like all of this data that's stored in my phone. I want to get it into OpenHuman since he wrote like an iPhone app to like export all of your data into open humans and it was like an individual member who decided that's a cool idea i want to build it and similarly other members have written for example the uh, the genetic genealogy tools it's like written by a single member who decided that they want to become more active and not just put data into the system but like provide something for the community at large so it's really like a broad spectrum of people who just come in like connect their data and use it for themselves or share it, but to really being super involved and like discussing with the community at large and becoming more and more involved. So it's a broad spectrum. I think that's what uh, makes it really nice because people have like, they can like opt in to like as much activity as they want basically and to actually like running the system more or less. Okay. Well, very good. Is there a, a charge to join the organization or how do people find out more and uh, get involved? Oh, no, it's uh, all free. It's like the Open Humans Foundation is a non-profit and we are supported by different grants to actually like keep the whole operations running. And we, uh, so it's uh, completely free to use, as I said. And uh, if people want to find out more, they can just go to openhumans.org and uh, sign up and have a look around to see like all the data sources that are supported and all the uh, things they can use their data with already today. I think that's like, really the beauty of it it's like just like an open ecosystem it's all like the foundation is very open it's uh, all based on open source software we are writing and people can get involved at all the stages of the whole product basically are there uh, any worries about people's data that could be stolen or used or is that really not a consideration that people have no i think that's at least for like uh some people certainly mean like data security and data safety is like a big issue and uh we just uh, a couple of months ago started to like be fully compliant with the European GDPR so European members can join as well so we do have like uh, a lot of like the safeguards in place that you need for like storing data I mean it's like encrypted at rest on our servers and people have to like opt in for every data use basically so if like someone wants to use your data you have to like give consent and approve of like the individual projects that want to use this data and it's uh, even going so far that, like, if you want to launch a new research study on open humans, it's not like us as the foundation who decides which projects can be listed, but rather it's the community itself. Like, the community members decide which projects should be running on the platform and which ones shouldn't. So, so far, we didn't have any project that was rejected, but every project goes up in front of, like, the community to be reviewed. And the community decides on whether this is, like, a valid scientific question or not. So, I mean, we uh, do have projects like the type 1 diabetes one for example that the patient community decided what they want to do the uh, ovulatory cycle tracking one is one that's done not only like as a community science project but it's actually done in collaboration with the uc here in berkeley and we do have a couple of uh, genetic studies going on as well where which are about like how people understand genetic information which is also done in academic setting and all these projects that want to then like get access to personal data then like 
the project needs to be asked, like needs to like get through the approval process, basically, where people are asked, like, do you think this is like a project that should even be allowed to ask members to join and give access to their data? Well, I don't want to know about the disapproved ones, but yeah, the the approved ones, any uh, interesting ones that caught your eye or, you know, ones that uh, were super ambitious, but, you know, so far so good. Um, very good. So w- what do you see as the near-term future of the Open Humans Foundation? What's going to be coming around the pike or is it just going to evolve as the community evolves and see where it goes? So, I mean, like, it's, of course, both things. So it's like all we do depend on like people actually wanting to participate and like being interested in these things. So in that sense, it's like a lot of like evolution in terms of like where the members of the community wants to go. But one thing we are planning on right now and what we are working on is expanding like this whole end of one experimentation framework. Of course, like people are collecting all of this data, but actually making like a little own research study to not only like collect data and then later on try to make like sense of the data they've collected, but actually have like some kind of like little intervention they design themselves and then actually make use of this data would be really cool. And like enabling this is something where in terms of like the features of the platform we are thinking about a lot right now, how to enable people to design their own experiments to reuse all the data they've already put into open humans and they continue to put into open humans to enable this to like have like some reusable end of one experiments, which I think is a big issue because like many people like myself, we collect this data, mm. we analyze the data later on. And then I have done the experiment and I know something about me, but it's really hard for anyone else to reproduce it and say, I would be interested to see whether like the same effect happens to me. So like enabling people to share their little experimental designs and say, are you interested in like joining me in doing this little experiment in like a much smaller scale than like an academic study if it's just like five, ten people joining? It's nevertheless is much more powerful and much more useful than just having one person doing it. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot smarter because um, you know, n of one is good, but uh, I'm sure there's a lot of experiments that I may want to do or you may want to do. I'm not even aware that people have tried. And if they get results, you know, everyone understands the disclaimer. Yeah, it's n of one, blah blah. But it still could guide people's willingness to do something or the expected results or yeah, I don't, I don't think it would misinform them. I think it would give them an interesting guide as to what may happen with them if they do it, you know? Yeah, right. I mean, that's really the the big issue that like everyone is like doing their little experiments like in their own four walls or somewhere and they maybe never even like publish a blog post about it, right? So you never would know that people have done it. And if we have like a yep. way for people to discover what other people are doing, which kind of end of one experiments, like you might find might find other people who say, Oh, this is like a cool experiment idea, I want to join in it, like do the same for me and see whether like the same effect applies to me. And enabling this and then going forward from this scaling this up to say, like we start with like the end of one experiment and then maybe it's five other people do the same end of one experiment and now you have like an N of five and you can like grow it out from there. This is something we are like designing right now. Yeah, there may be companies that end up wanting to do clinical trials that would uh, probably have a big head start from these, you know, these small little experiments that people would do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is uh, what I personally hope for, that we can see that we, like, take it from, like, the individuals who are, like, doing this very, like, bottom-up approach and doing individual research, find their own little community of people who want to do the same thing. And now, actually, you can go to, like either academic researchers or like companies and say, see, we have preliminary data showing that this is really interesting. Are you interested in following up on this on like a much smaller, bigger scale than we could be doing on our own? And I think that's the way forward. Yeah, companies may even sponsor these uh, these small, you know, N of one or small uh, number of people projects. Because again, yeah. that, would, that would allow them maybe to get some early guidance without having to go through uh, 
you know, eventually they will, but having to go through an IRB and do all the other stuff with clinical trials, like super early on, you know? Yeah, right. And in a sense, I think this is what's uh, happening in the type 1 diabetes community. I mean, the whole idea of like collecting the CGM data and reusing it and so on came completely by the patient community for themselves without any input from the outside. And now that actually there's like a critical mass of people doing all these things and collecting the data and doing self-experimentation, all of a sudden academic researchers and companies who were not really interested in doing any of this before, all of a sudden are very interested in like joining the bandwagon basically because they see there's like a really high utility in it for them. Yeah. Well, interesting. Do you have a name for uh, for that? And is that going to be a formal like initiative from Open Humans or what do you, how do you think it's going to take shape? Yeah, so that's the uh, the Night Scout Foundation and the uh, Open APS for Open Artificial Pancreas Community, who is doing a lot of this work. And they are not formally a part of Open Humans; it's its own patient community. But they are like relying on the whole Open Humans framework of using like our technology for collecting the data and redistributing it. Okay. I think that's like the right. that's like the framework of like how Open Humans actually is growing. It's like less that we are like ourselves like doing any of these studies. It's like we are providing the framework that other people who are interested in doing interesting science and interesting data collection can reuse and rely on this existing community. So Open Humans, I think, today has nearly 7,000 people signed up already, and they have donated, I think, nearly 20,000 different data sets into Open Humans already. So there's like this huge community of people who have like a lot of data about themselves and who are interested in using and sharing this data, which makes like a very fertile ground for new experimentation. Can people go on to Open Humans and look for data sets? Or how, yeah. how would they, you know, if they wanted to get data, um, what would they do to get it? Yeah, I mean, if you go to the Open Humans website, you can see like all the different data sources and you can see how many people have already like imported any of this data. And some people even decide to make individual data sets publicly available. So you wouldn't even need to ask for any permission to use it. But if you see that there's like a lot of people who have, for example, like, genetic data uploaded already, like a couple of thousand people who have like interesting, like the genetic data that you're interested in, then you can just go ahead, like start your own project and then like start asking people to like give you access to their genome data and like perform your research study that you're interested in after you like the people joined in and say, yes, of course, I'm giving you access to my genome for in your interesting research study. So it's a really like uh, easy approach for people to find like, if you want to do a research project, it's an easy way for you to find people who have already the kinds of data you are interested in and asking them to contribute it. Okay. All right. Well, very good. So, again, uh, the best way for people to follow up and ask questions and collaborate is to go to uh, openhumanfoundations.org? Yeah, that's like the larger foundation website. If you, but if you go to openhumans.org, which is like the, the main product that the foundation is providing, it's like the platform where you can see all the different data sources, how many people have imported data already. And you can join and like connect your own data sources and like import your data into Open Humans to reuse it yourself. Mm. Okay. All right. Well, very good. Well, Bastian, thank you for coming on the call. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much for the opportunity. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious that we all have medical issues we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. 
Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.